going to get started and tonight we're going to do a little bit of a talk about Ethiopia and Kenya. Me and Jason are going to kind of cover the Ethiopian side of things and Aileen from MCM is going to talk to you about Kenyan coffees and her trip to Kenya early this year. Um, those of you that did not know, me and Jason went to Ethiopia last year, um, around mid-November. We were there for a bit over a week. We were there at the time of the harvest, so we didn't actually kind of taste a lot of the new season coffees, but we kind of saw them being processed. So we visited a fair few places. We thought we would kind of share a bit of information that we gathered about the country as well as the coffee in Ethiopia and the specific coffees that we're getting. Yeah, I think we should probably start off by saying we don't know a lot about Ethiopia. We've bought Ethiopian coffee for probably four or five years, but it's, and it's the second time I've been there, but it's a really big place. It's quite difficult to get coffee out of Ethiopia and we're only just beginning. So we'll share with you what we know and mostly about our trip and a little bit of the background, but... We've got a fair few coffees coming from Ethiopia this year. Jason's mm -hmm. bought quite a lot. Um, do you want to go through the... Yeah, the first one um, is a coffee we've had in the past called Jigesa. We're going to be starting with that very soon. Um, maybe from the week of the 10th or maybe the week of the 17th. It's similar as it was to last year, so I think it'll be a real favourite for everyone. Really rich and ripe, a lot of blueberry and very sweet. It's from the Guji region. In fact, most of the coffees we have bought are from the Guji region. Part of the reason for this is that that's where Sukafina specialise or that's where they find a lot of the coffees that we're interested in or the flavour profile that we've said we want. That's, that's sort of exactly where it is. So we also have an, another coffee starting fairly soon called Momora Natural and we also had this last year. I think we had it for espresso for a little while. We'll have it as a single origin espresso again. We have a coffee from the same area, Guji around Chikiso called Mordkoff um, and that's going in our seasonal espresso. And then a bunch of others. We have Burka Gudina, Chiri, Hedosa Natural, and Araressa will be um, a single uh, filter coffee that we'll have later in the year as well. So yeah, like I said, most of them are from Guji. Jigesa, Araressa, Mamora, Mordkoff, and Hedeso and Chiri are all from Guji region. The only one from Limu is um, Burka Gudina. MCM bought a coffee last year from, from uh, Limu or from Jima, um, and that was called Limu Costa. Yeah, and the reason it's our favorite is, is you know, because of the flavor. It's uh, sweet, acidic, um, but also it's got a very nice blueberry flavor to it. And that's, that's really typical of Guji. Just very briefly about Ethiopia. Um, like I said, we're not experts at this, but I think I've got some nice kind of basic details about the country, just for you to understand. So as you can see, Ethiopia is on the like eastern side of Africa and it's um, a landlocked country. Um, all of the coffee and most of anything that they export, they export it through Djibouti, just over here. So that's where the docks are, that's where um, they actually ship the coffee from. Um, there's about 100 million Ethiopian people in the country, so it's quite a big country. Um, they speak about 90 different languages um, actively across the country, so there's a lot of different kind of um, cultures and regions and areas and people. So it's a real kind of mixture depending which part of the country you're at. The main kind of coffee producing areas that we would buy from are in the kind of south and west-southwest. Um, there's also a lot of coffee coming from the east called Hara. You've probably sometimes heard about it if you kind of know a little bit about Ethiopian coffees. Yeah, geographically it's split down the middle by the Great Rift Valley. So that runs um, basically from, from up here, which is the um, closer to the Nile, and then all the way down past Addis um, all the way down through here to um, to Kenya, um, and this is 
basically a, a ridge of two different uh, mountain ranges and it, it, it splits the country pretty much in two. So a lot of the good coffee growing regions are around the Rift Valley, but also in the, the more rainforesty areas closer to Sudan. The rest of the Somalia region and Harar, they're all quite dry sort of deserty areas. Um, and then everything in, the, in this sort of west of the country is uh, more rainforesty or sort of more we'd associate with the coffee growing regions. And Addis is obviously the capital, that's where we landed and we spent a bit of time there. Um, it's about two and a half kilometres above sea level, the city itself, so it's quite high altitude. And like I said, that coffee region in general, south and west is quite high altitude as well. And an, like I, for me, an interesting kind of detail about Ethiopia was that it was never colonised by um, any European country. Um, the Italians have had a couple of wars there and the Italians were there for like about 30s, <laughs> early 40s, but Ethiopians kind of rebelled against the Italian occupiers and, and got rid of them. But because of that fun fact, you could get pasta almost anywhere in Ethiopia, which is very interesting because I wasn't expecting that in the tiny towns. A little bit of a closer up um, look at the map. So when we were there, we flew to Addis, obviously, and then we went down south to Hawassa. We flew down because the roads are extremely bad <clears throat> and slow to drive on. So. We flew down and then we kind of drove through Sidamo into the Guji region and um, we traveled to Shikisa, which is a little town over here. And that's kind of the area where most of our coffees come from, like I said. So Mamora and Wardkoff are, are both around Shikisa, Jigesa as well. Even though it's a small town and even though they all seem to be in a fairly close area, we could only get to those two, two washing stations or two farms on our trip. So we were there for, I think, two or three nights in Chiquiso, and we only got to two of the farms. It's because they're so far apart and the roads are so poor. We were traveling at, you know, between 20 and 40 kilometers an hour, and we had to stop frequently because the road had turned into mud or the roads were closed. It was <coughs> raining too much or something, you know, so uh, very difficult to get around. In general, a little bit about Ethiopian coffees. As you would probably know, Ethiopia is considered the birthplace of coffee in general. Um, there's still a lot of wild coffee forests growing in Ethiopia, and this kind of region in the west um, is called Kefa or Kafa, and that's kind of considered the place where coffee Arabica variety kind of comes from. And even like we traveled a little bit on the west side as well, but there truly is coffee growing wild in, you know, by the roads. You would see a lot of three, four meter tall coffee trees that are no one's farm or such. It was quite interesting to me. And the varieties are quite a bit of a mishmash of literally everything. Some of them identified, some not. Yeah, mo most, most now is um, all designated as semi-forest coffee, which means that forest is being cleared out a little bit and there's been coffee planted in the forest. But yeah, it does, it looks like it's all just intertwined and kind of wild. Um, there's also not a lot of management of the coffee farms there. So unlike Brazil or Guatemala, where you see a lot of pruning or a lot of, um, you know, sort of management of the coffee farm, a lot of it is just left to its own devices. So they might clear around the coffee plants a little bit. They might make sure the forest doesn't regrow too much. But in general, they don't do a lot of pruning and things like that. The varieties are interesting. We have always said that from Ethiopia we just get heirloom varieties. The reason we say that is because we don't know a lot about the varieties that they plant on their farms. And partially this is because they actually don't know or they don't, it's not that important to them what varieties are planted on their farms. The gentleman we were traveling with actually was one of the researchers at a facility in Jimma and, and they did a lot of testing in the 80s of different varieties to find the best sort of yielding and the best disease resistant varieties that would grow in different regions. 
And they picked about, about 40 different varieties that they designated really boring names like 42016 and stuff like that, just not interesting names at all. And they would designate them to different areas, so there'd be like three or four that would that designate to Guji, three or four for Limu, sort of that sort of spread. So actually a lot of the varieties that they were growing in places like Mordkoff and Mamora are selected varieties, but they don't know they don't know what you know what they are or they don't really report what they are or they don't keep track of what they are. So they, they were planted and they're just sort of left alone. We might we might change the way we tell people what varieties we have if we if we get that information. If we don't, we'll either continue to call it heirloom varieties or Bourbon and Typico. And and part of the reason it's confusing, but they, they actually they do have two very different sort of native varieties that grow or, or actual heirloom varieties that grow. And one's a sort of a shorter, you know, a Bourbon type and one's a taller, spindlier, typica type. So they're not related to the um, Bourbon and Typica that we have in South and Central America, but they look like it and that's why <laughs> and that's why they call them that. But they're two different yeah, two different types. Good and confusing. Yeah, and the coffee plants around the place looked very different. Like on one side of the road you would see trees with certain types of branches and leaves and then you look on the other side and it's something completely different so it was you know we would stop and you would have a look at them and talk about them with Adani and being like oh what is this and then he's like trying to guess what it is and that was kind of like you know our scientific approach to the varieties otherwise Ethiopia is the biggest coffee producing country in Africa and fifth largest in the world and the really interesting thing about Ethiopia is that they export about half of their total production and the other half stays in the country and coffee is being consumed everywhere in Ethiopia by Ethiopian people. They have a bit of a like a coffee ceremony, how they serve, they roast their own coffee on a little pan and then roast it, um, sorry, grind it with a mortar and pestle and, and then brew it to everyone. We also had a taste of it. I thought it was fine, Jason didn't. I didn't like it, but um, <laughs> approve the brew. Yeah. Okay, well, but this, yeah, it's really unusual that there's that much that is consumed locally because you know other countries like you know you'll you'll hear about Kenya and also you know Brazil and South America that they just have very very little local consumption, and Ke and Ethiopia is quite high. So. They export about 180 million kilos of green coffee. That's a huge amount, and that's only half of their total production. We would see a lot of. Uh, washing stations that would process something about five to eight million kilos of cherries and these washing stations would be a few kilometers apart so the production is actually huge which i didn't really realize until i was there yeah this scale is really hard to get your head around because it, it, it is it's such a big place it's really densely populated it's all agriculture you know so the people work in services in in addis and in the um the towns like jimma but almost everyone else is in agriculture and they're they're spread out you know, pretty evenly throughout Ethiopia, so it's unusual. And most of the coffee in Ethiopia is generally processed with, um, in, a, in the dry processing, aka natural processing method, and that's how generally all the coffee that people consume in Ethiopia is processed. Um, we would see people with tarps everywhere along the roads drying their own coffee pretty much in every town, so it was very, very common. Yeah, part, of, part of the reason it's, it's difficult to buy coffee from Ethiopia is, for one, the scale. The scale is, like I said, difficult to get your head around, but for instance, all the samples we saw were designated in, the offers were full container loads. So there would either be one, two, or three full container loads per sample. And for us, uh, a full container load is 360 kilo sacks of coffee. And as a reference, we would be looking at buying um, lots of coffee between 10 bags and 50 bags, or maybe up to 100 bags. But we generally just don't buy full container loads because 
you know, it's a lot of coffee and not a, a reasonable amount of coffee for Melbourne anyway. So the scale's really big. They're used to trading in very, very large volumes. They have a trading system which is uh, fairly unique and it's, it's, it was designed to, to maintain a, a decent amount of income based on regional designations. So it'd be Guji or, or Yogeshev or Jima or, you know, these different regional sort of names. And they would promote these names as different grades, so grade one through seven. And these, that, that's sort of the only marketing they would do. So if you produced a coffee in, in this sort of region, you'd be guaranteed a certain price because it, it is of a certain quality or it's of a certain grade. So in, in some ways that, that way of designating coffee and, and selling coffee is good because if you're in, in London and you want a, a decent quality coffee, you can buy a Guji grade two or a grade one and you'd say, okay, well, it's gonna be a pretty good coffee and you know, I know what I'm gonna have to pay for it. The same as if you were somewhere else in the world, you'd know that you'd get a similar sort of type and, and quality of coffee. Um, obviously the industry has changed a little bit now and people want a bit more transparency and they want better quality. So people have been asking and been trying to get coffees out of Ethiopia, out of other places with more, more transparency and more like high quality lots. When we first started buying in Ethiopia, it would be sort of like a sort of a dodgy under the table sort of, this is a Guji grade two that you cupped it's got to go through this sort of trading system. It's going to come out the other side and it's the same lot that you cupped. So it'd be sort of like a, a bit of a gray sort of transaction, not really particularly transparent. They've loosened the regulations in the last couple of years. So now we can say to private landholders who, who own more than two hectares or so, we can say to them, we want to buy your coffee. We love it. You know, let's do a deal. And we can buy directly from them. We can get it milled and we can get it sent to us. So. Now it's a lot easier and now it's a lot more open and transparent and it means we can have lots like Memora two, three, four years in a row and we can identify it as Memora rather than just a Guji grade one. It's exporting it's coffee, so, so confusing in different countries, but I think Ethiopia is one of the, has been one of the more difficult ones in the past. We've got a few kind of photos here as well give you a little idea of how the coffee ceremony alongside with Coca-Cola looks like. The first town that we were in was um, Shakiso. Some of you, I think, pointed out last year when we had the Alemu Baketo coffee that you had seen it spelled differently in different places. And after being in Ethiopia, I realized every single name is spelled in about five different ways. That's mostly because the Ethiopian... Amaric doesn't have a direct translation to a Latin language. So the way that it's translated is, is oral, uh, um, verbally or orally. So if you say... Alemu Biketu, it's basically you copying the sound of someone saying Alemu Biketu from Amharic and translating it into English. So that's why Yoga Chef can have several different combinations of Fs and Es and stuff like that. And Shakiso as well. Sometimes yeah. there's a double S, sometimes there's no H, mm -hmm. sometimes we saw, I saw spelling in every single way I could have imagined when I was there. So that kind of clarified to me why there's so much different spelling around mm. the yep. names. Anyway, um, this is where we were based when we went out to visit um, Momora and Morokov. Um, we did not get to Jigesa on this trip, but just a few photos. We went to the Momora farm. We couldn't get to the washing station on its own because it was very rainy when we were there. The roads were closed, so we only got to see the farm. This was the agro agronomist. From Sukafina, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, he was showing us the farm. Is there anything you want to say about the farm itself? No, just that the trees are really big, like very tall. There would be, I think, well, there's a photo coming up, but they're, they're very tall. It's hard to see the scale, but they are towering above us. Two, three metres yeah. in height, yeah. It's a beautiful farm. We only did a very quick visit there at the time, and we did it on our way to the Mordokov washing station, and that's where we got to see, like, 
a real big washing station in full action. When we were there, it was an afternoon and there were still lots of people bringing cherries in, so there was a lot of weighing and there was a lot of coffees going through the washing station and through the channels being fermented and pulped. Yeah, they're also yeah they're also so healthy that they don't snap. So they do just like pull them, and, and the branches they just yeah pull them down. Um, they they do in some places they do use ladders and things like that to get up to the top. But these ones yeah they'll just yeah pull them down. And mostly like in the channels and the washing station, we would see a lot of kind of men doing the some of the kind of harder physical work. There were quite a few women as well working in the station in the afternoon. They're mostly doing sorting, um, so doing quality control, picking up coffee as it's drying, turning it around, seeing if there's any visual defects, separating those defects. That being said, every coffee bean is being consumed, so even if there's a defect, then it'll go into a lower grade or in the um, local market or, or such. So there were lots and lots and lots of people there on that day when we were visiting. Hundreds. Yes, hundreds. And just, yeah, there's a, a lot of beds, um, drying beds around. Um, they did a lot of washed coffee, there was some natural as well, and you can see the tarps, like this was late in the afternoon, so they're getting ready for the evening and night time, and they would always cover the beds with tarp to make sure that the coffee doesn't get wet overnight if it rains, or just because of the moisture in general in the air. We also got to visit, these were some of the guys who were bringing in coffee, so they were bringing in cherries from different places, and being wait, like kind of waiting around for them to be weighed out. Yeah, Mordkov's a private farm and they have a lot of... Um... <laughs> it's my favourite photo of all time. And I'm going to put it on my wall. It's the Mordkov farm. Yeah, Hill is not scared of fleas. No, um... this had a lot of fleas. Um, when I went closer, I only realised then, of course, yeah. but there were a lot of donkeys in, um, in Ethiopia. There's about, I think they were saying that it's about, about 7 million of them, so they don't have a lot of cars, but there are a lot of donkeys that do a lot of work and you could not not see one on the road all the time. And this was on the Mordecai farm as well. Jason's there just for like height reference in terms of how tall and big those trees are. And then just a few photos from the west. So we went kind of southwest to Jima and we're staying in that town for what, I think two nights or something. Yeah, Jima's much more developed than Shikiso. It's, it's an older coffee producing town and the people there were, you know, living in houses with small gardens and there was sort of more, that's not the right word, but there were more, it, was, it was more developed region, so. Well, there was, yeah, you could see there was electricity, you know, and there was plumbing and such, which was not the case in, you know, Shakiza. But there we got a coffee called Burger Kudina coming from this direction. And just kind of, this is kind of the landscape, how it's like. So this is kind of the birthplace of coffee, the western side. It was quite beautiful, as you can see. And we stopped a few times just on the road to take a few photos because it was so nice. And there was coffee, again, kind of everywhere, yep. all the time. Yeah, Jimma's a, four, it was a 45 minute flight from Addis out to Jimma. If you drive, I think it's like six hours. And then from Jimma to get to places like Bench Maggi or, or um, Geisha or, you know, the far, the far west is another, you know, eight, nine, ten hours drive. So it's, it's a really long, long way. And there was, um, there was a really beautiful farm. We didn't buy coffee from here this year, but um, MCM bought some coffee last year from Limukosa. It was a huge farm that did a lot of different lots. They had actual like lots growing. There would be signage and different kinds of trees growing around. So it was quite, and it was, it was really, really big. We drove through it and it took us 20 minutes to drive through the farm, so. And this is just a little last photo of Lake Hawassa. Um, this is directly south of 
at us. That's where we stayed for the first night, and it was very nice. There are hippos in that lake, apparently. Gladly I didn't run into one. Um, does anyone have any questions about Ethiopia? I think the commercial production is very, very low, if not, yeah. not at all. Um, and then where it's from wild, I, I don't know, but it may be that it's more from South Sudan or from, because mm. um, there aren't many low, low areas of Ethiopia. Where and they're not tropical goes. enough. It's all fairly yeah. high altitude, yeah. yeah. The West is all... Sudan. Sudan, sorry. Mm. That's Sudan. Um, Adana said that they they did a lot of they collected a lot of samples, so they went to a lot of different coffee native forests. So they went to Kaffa and to yeah Benchmaji and a few places to collect samples. And they I think they collected like two thousand, um, and they test planted hundreds, um, and then they selected the forty just because of um, disease resistance. I don't know if they test planted in different areas, but. I assume they did because they, they were particular about which varieties are from which area and they did designate particular varieties out. Yeah. Like the follow-up from that or something. That kind of like we tried to we, we wanted we tried to go to the research facility um, when we were in Jimma, um, but they were closed and they're not they don't they don't put the same emphasis on it. They don't really think it's that important and they, they weren't like we'd ask all the time and they'd be like whatever was around or whatever is here. Yeah, Jason was grilling them with questions every time. He's like, what's this <laughs> What's going on? But yeah, on, yeah, it was, it's very um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, think, I think probably just in, in general in coffee, in coffee production there's a lot less focus on varieties than, than we have because they're not you know they're not going to change, so it doesn't really matter, I suppose. It's it's what it's what their fathers grew, or they you know it's what was always there. So we didn't encounter a lot of leaf rust or anything like that either. No, really, anywhere we went to in Ethiopia, in Kenya we did, but not in Ethiopia. No, there was a lot. Of, there was talk about the wet season shifting or the wet season changing, the dry periods not coming at the right time. Yeah, no, no other talk about leaf rust actually. So, how about you? I don't know. They looked, you know, 30 years old. They, you know, they looked at least that that big. They didn't really um, do a lot of replanting. But they're like multi-generational farms. Yeah, yeah. Mordkoff is a very old farm. I think they bought it. They bought it 20 years ago, and it was a coffee farm before that. So um, I, did, it, I didn't see any kind of. I didn't see a lot of like nurseries or like really young trees anywhere that we went to. Like small. No. I think the only new areas are like around the Bali Mountains, which are sort of towards the east. I went there on my first trip to Ethiopia, and they, that's, sort of, that, that's definitely a new coffee-growing region. But everything else has been fa fairly well established for a while. So. <laughs> Does anyone... Um, there's still some coffee here in some of our late arrivals. There's two Ethiopians. There's um, Jigesa and Momora, and there's some Gamba as well.